All right, yeah, once you've met someone, you can go ahead and take a seat. Uh, if you're new, just want to say welcome. Uh, if you're not new, if you want to say welcome. Glad you're here. Good morning. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Josiah. Love to maybe meet you after if you have time, but we're just glad you're here. Um, here's what we're doing. We're going through books of the Bible. Uh, we'd love for you to raise your hand if you don't have a Bible so you can get one and follow along with us. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We have some people passing out Bibles in the back. They're coming. They're coming. Um, but if you would, turn to Genesis chapter 1. All right, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, let me explain something this morning. So this morning is going to be a little bit different, and this is hard for me. If you guys know me and just kind of know what's, we just started the Gospel of Mark. All right, this would have been our fourth week in the Gospel of Mark, and I, I'm excited for the Gospel of Mark. We're taking a year just to focus on the life and ministry of Jesus, but this is hard for me. We're going to take a break, and not just because it's Valentine's week coming up, uh, that might make sense, but we're going to take a break and just talk about kind of all things relationships, singleness, uh, marriage, sex. We're going to just talk about all, all those things, a biblical perspective, a redemptive perspective on those things. And here's kind of why, a few reasons. All right, just from talking to many of you, knowing small groups or interactions or conversations, we got to admit that relationships is an issue with, with the world, with the church we're kind of failing at. That we could do relationships better, we could do marriage better, we could do singleness better, we could do all these things and, and approach it in more of a biblical, redemptive way. And we feel like we need to slow down a little bit and just talk about this and kind of know that, like, almost the state of the union, like, know who we're talking to. We have some people who are single in here, some people who are engaged, married, no kids, married with kids, married grandkids. We have kind of all stages in here. And, I, and I'm hoping that this can speak to those who are single and refresh those who are married and remember to get back to our first love. And so I'm hoping, regardless of what kind of background you come from, this will speak to everyone's my hope. So it is Valentine's week. This is a hard week for some people. Wednesday is like just a reminder that you're single day, right? That's, it's hard for some people. And so we kind of want to slow down and just kind of like speak life into that. Um, also, yesterday, my wife and I celebrated 10 years of marriage. And so, yeah, <laughs> you're like 10 years. You're like 22. No, uh, I have a picture. There we go. There's baby face, Josiah. I was 14 there. <laughs> um, it did feel, when, you were, when, when like the wedding ceremony was happening, like who's this kid on stage and how is he marrying this woman? Like it just looks so bizarre. Uh, but we've been married 10 years yesterday. And so for us, you know, the idea of just Kim and I, our conversations, what we've been talking about is we've really just had marriage, singleness, you know, things within our church, our community, our body, just kind of on our mind. Um, and we want to speak into that. Um, we, we have to all admit that I think the world does a better job setting us up for divorce than it does marriage. And it's hard, you guys, let's be honest. When you have a sinner and a sinner coming together in marriage, it doesn't equal less sin. Sinner plus sinner does not equal less sin, right? It's hard. And so we want to talk about that. We want to approach that. We want to have a biblical perspective on that. No one stumbles into a healthy marriage. No one just like, oh, we're just healthy. You guys didn't, you, we didn't try, but we just are. Like, that doesn't happen. You have to be intentional with it. You have, to fo you have to get back to some of the principles you've already known and heard, or you, maybe you've never heard, maybe you've never known, maybe you've never had a good example of a, of a good marriage or a good dating relationship. And so we feel like we need to slow down and just kind of speak into this a little bit. And so we do want to specifically talk about marriage, singleness, and sex. We think these are three kind of different areas that we need to have a biblical, Christ-centered, redemptive mindset as we approach this. Uh, so I'm excited about this. I think this is necessary. Um, again, I want to say this. If you're single, don't think this doesn't apply to me. Because it's like marriage, like no, we didn't know the goal, know what to aim for as we talk about marriage. Don't wait till you're married to think about marriage, right? Like don't wait till you get to that point. And if you're married, let's be reminded and refreshed of some of the things you know. As Jesus told the church of Ephesus, he's like, you've left your first love, repent and do what you first did. And so for some of us who are married, it's like, let's get back to those principles that we know. Let's get back to that first love in that sense. And so in light of this week, in light of kind of our culture, our church, uh, we need to approach this differently. So um, I think we have to admit there's some adjustments we need to make. And that's my hope is just we want to make some adjustments when it comes to relationships, singleness, dating, marriage. There's some adjustments with our mindset, our view, our approach. We shouldn't be uh, afraid of this to talk about sex or singleness or dating. We need to kind of have a biblical approach and perspective on this. So that's my hope today. I hope the Lord speaks. Let me just even say this. Guaranteed, when you talk about singleness, sex, and marriage, you're going to offend someone. So forgive me in advance. Maybe one of you or many of you are going to be offended by this message today. And that, that maybe means something's doing uh, good. So uh, Genesis chapter 1. Let's read Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read a few different verses, and the reason why Genesis is we're going to look at the first marriage. We're going we're to look at the first union of man and woman coming together. 
And some of the things that God said, some of the things that man said, some of the confessions and statements that were made, whether by the author or by Adam. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1. We're going to bounce around a little bit. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It should be up here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over all the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and of the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 18. Chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord said, it is good that the man, sh- it is good that the man should be alone. It is not good, sorry. <laughs> Definitely not. It is not good, little print, little print, that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man, then Adam said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast or be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray and ask God to bless this because we really need God in this topic. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you so much for what marriage is. And we thank you, God, for how you designed it. And God, we thank you that Jesus, you came to earth and you showed us even how to do uh, a life that is content and fulfilled Lord, we just ask that you'd speak, that you'd move. You redeem our, our, our perspectives, our, our thoughts about this, the things we've seen in movies, just all those things, Lord, redeem that. Let's just hear from you now in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. You know, I, I heard a, a pastor say one time, he said, marriage is the closest thing to heaven you'll ever experience on earth. Isn't that true? That's good. You're like, yes, marriage is the closest thing to heaven you'll ever experience on earth. But then he said, and marriage is the closest thing to hell you'll ever experience on earth. And if you're married, you're like, yeah, amen. Like, so you, you get that. Like, so when the moments are good, the moments are great, right? They're just, they're, it's, this is like a taste of heaven. When the moments are bad, the moments are tough. They're really bad. I mean, when you get yourself involved in, like, selfishness and your ego and that plays into it, you go, it can't get any worse than this. And for some of you who are single, you hear that, and you go, no, that's just not true. Like, that's not true. I, we got to admit this. Like, we as a culture, just as Americans growing up, we have to admit that Disney ruined us. It absolutely ruined us. I guarantee that Mickey and Minnie fight at night. Like, they've ruined us when it comes to our approach of marriage and, and happily ever after. And, and honestly, think about it. Some of you, you girls growing up as little girls, maybe you put on a princess dress and you pretended your Prince Charming would come and you'd live happily ever after. And, and maybe you still do that in your 20s and 30s and 40s. You know, we don't know. Like, we, it still just kind of continues. Hope and he'll come. And we really do have to admit, though, like, happily ever after will not happen in this life, right? It will not happen until we're with Jesus. Amen. Like, that's when happily, like, we put so much stock into this person will fully complete me and satisfy me, my, meet my every need, and we have such a wrong emphasis and such a wrong perspective so often. And so, we want to talk about marriage in, in a redemptive way, and just here's a key. Let me just kind of throw this one out there before we get into it. Um, here's a key to marriage. Remember this. God is not done with the other person yet, if you're married. God is not done with them yet, right? My wife really wants to yell amen right now. Like, God's not done with the other person yet, and God's not done with you yet. God's not done with me, me yet. If we can just keep in mind that as we approach relationships, that God's not done with you, he's not done with the other person, that there's your, your two people come into relationship, both bringing baggage, both bringing sin, both bringing brokenness, and sometimes, sadly, we think the other person will fix me. And my baggage is gone, my sinfulness is gone, my behavior is gone because this person's great, and they're going to fix that. And so we, we got to have a, a more of a gracious approach and mindset that, hey, as we enter into this, God's not done with, done with them yet, God's not done with me yet. And I want to show mercy because I want mercy. And I think that's just like a key as we approach this, as you imagine this, as we kind of talk about marriage and sex and singleness. So here's what we're going to do. There's three things today uh, that I want to focus on and talk about. And we'll kind of do it in this order. is marriage, then we'll talk about singleness, and then we'll talk about sex. All right? And forgive me, I know we could do a series on this. I feel like this could have been so much longer. I've tried to like, this is going to be like three sermons in one. So I'm going to try to like compact it so you're like, the pace is going to be quick. Yeah, it's always quick. But um, marriage, singleness, and sex. All right, so let's start with marriage. 
just start with this idea. What is marriage? What is marriage? All right, let's talk about what marriage is not. Marriage is not a consumer relationship. Marriage is a covenant relationship. Let me just say that again. That needs to be really clear. Marriage is not a consumer relationship. It's a covenant relationship. When you think of a consumer relationship, for example, let's just say there's a grocery store you like, and you love to shop at this grocery store, and the people are nice, and you're friendly, and they have good deals here and there, and you're like, I like this grocery store. But then a better grocery store opens up, a younger grocery store, right? Let's just call it Trader Joe's. Uh, Trader Joe's opens up. And you're like, wow, better prices. It's cheaper. It's nice. It's clean. It's friendly. You might have been friendly with that other grocery store, but now you've left it for a new and younger and better grocery store, right? Why? Because you're a consumer, and that's okay. You're not going to run into like the grocery store manager and be like, hey, why'd you leave me? Like, that's not going to happen. This is a consumer relationship. That's what happens. But sadly, we take this approach into marriage. We really do. We kind of have a consumer. We as Americans have a consumer relationship mindset. As long as you meet my needs, I'll be in this. The moment you stop meeting my needs, I'm out. We kind of go, oh, here comes along a new, a better, a younger wife, a new, a better, younger. And we, we have a consumer relationship, sadly, so often when it comes to marriage, and yet it's a covenant relationship. And here's, here's what I mean by covenant relationship. It's a commitment first and feeling second. If we can understand that you're saying, I'm committing myself to you, whether or not my, my feelings are always there. I'm committing myself to you, and so often my feelings will follow. We usually are led by our feelings, and based upon our feelings, we'll commit or not commit. But a covenant relationship is I'm not leading with my feelings, I'm leading with commitment, and a lot of times feelings will follow. And for some of you, that sounds almost unromantic. You're like, I don't like that idea. It sounds like a contract, it doesn't sound romantic. It's incredibly romantic to know that this person's gonna be with me for better or for worse. It's incredibly romantic to know that my good days and bad days, whether I look good, not look good, whether I'm going through this, not going, they're gonna be with me. That's incredibly romantic. To know that they're gonna love me past my, my flaws, my circumstances, they can see all of my nakedness, all of my vulner- vulnerability, and they're still gonna love me. That's incredibly romantic. So we got to understand, the idea of marriage is first, it's a first, a covenant, and then it's, so it's first a commitment, and then it's feelings. And so when I ask the question, what is marriage? Like, what is the essence of marriage? You know, if you ask that, and that's a weird question. When you say, what is the essence of something? You're saying, what, is, what makes it it? What, it what, it? what makes it itself? So if I asked you, what is a doctor? And you said, a doctor is someone who wears like a white robe. It's like, that's what, you're like, no, that's what, you're describing a doctor. Because a barber wears a, a white robe. A scientist wears a white robe. So we say, what is marriage? And some people are like, marriage means there's just attraction, and there's, you're just, you're just infatuated the person, you love the person, you're excited when you see the person. And you're like, that's my dog. My, you walk in the front door, my dog's excited and, and, you know, crazy in love. Like, that's not marriage. You go, well, it's procreation. It's, it's starting a family, and it's like having, I'm doing family forever together. You're like, rabbits do that. That's not, it's not the idea of just like procreation. It's not the idea of just like fun. It's so much more, it, again, it goes back to this idea that it is a covenant. And that is the essence of marriage. And we'll look at a verse really quick. If you want to write this down, we read it. Uh, but when I say what is a marriage, write down Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 24. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That word joined literally means to make a covenant. It means to make a covenant. That we are making a covenant with each other. And that is so refreshing to say, I'm in this for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, till death do us part. And that is so romantic. You know, God actually made a covenant with the nation of Israel. God makes a covenant with us. We see that at Passover, Jesus established a new covenant with us. We see that God made a covenant with Israel. That God speaks in these, term, these kind of terms as well. I love this verse in Ezekiel 16, verse 8. God said, yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine. God's like, I swore to you, I entered a covenant, and you became mine. I'm fully in. You know, when I do weddings or the weddings I've done, sometimes there's couples that want to make their vows, and there's some couples who have no desire to make their vows. I, I don't know if you've ever made your vows or not, but usually when I w- will meet with a couple, I, I will still do our vows because I'll say, yeah, write out your vows, let me read them. And a lot of times the vows are like, I will, you know, I love you, you're so gorgeous. When I first saw you, you know, I just knew because you're so hot. And you're like, okay, those are not vows to, towards each other. They're just like kind of describing, here's what I liked about you, but they're not really making vows. Like, you've got to understand, like, I am saying for better or for worse, for worse, for richer or for poor. Like, you are saying, despite through thick and thin, I'm, I'm committing myself to you. Again, I want to understand this about marriage. It's not declaring your present love. It's promising your future love, right? That's what marriage is. We're not standing up there. No one's standing up there saying, let me tell you, um, let me declare my present love. That's easy. People are really good at declaring their present love. But it's saying, I'm promising you my future love. Again, no one here 
has ever planned on getting married and getting divorced. Like, yeah, I would love to get married in five years, get divorced. Like, no one plans for that. That, that, that just kind of like how it leads to, we don't, we, don't, we don't approach it the right way. And so we want to talk about this idea that it is a covenant. And there's people sitting there and watching because they're their witnesses. They're saying, I love you and I'll hold you accountable to this. I'm not just your guest. Like, they, they're the people that know you the best. They do love you the best. They're saying, hey, when you have a tough, tough day, I'm going to hold you accountable to it. I'm going to be there with you and for you. I'm going to say, remember those vows you made? Yeah, but you don't understand what he did. That's the whole point of a covenant. Yeah, but you don't understand how bad he is. That's the whole point of why you stand in front of people and made this proclamation of future love. And that's why we have people there. And so understand, when I say co- what, is, what is marriage, it really is first, it, it is a covenant. And next I'll say this, it's a deep friendship. Like, can we be honest that marriage needs, that we need to get back to friendship with marriage. That they're not just like this, like, partner I just do life with and we pay the bills with. It can be that. You know, I, I love talking about this, and I read, you re- maybe you can read books about marriages. There's this idea of, of face-to-face time, shoulder-to-shoulder time, and back-to-back time. Meaning me, we as couples sometimes are so back-to-back, we're at odds, we're fighting against each other, we're back-to-back. Or sometimes we spend so much time being shoulder-to-shoulder. Like, let's, let's go through life together, let's raise our kids together, let's pay the bills together, let's get those things done, and you're just shoulder-to-shoulder. But we need that face-to-face. We need that intimacy. We need that friendship again. You know, there's this word used in in of idea of a wife or marriage or spouse. Uh, there's this word in Hebrew. It's a lup, and I'm going to say it wrong, but that's okay. Uh, a lup, and it means a covenant partner, a deep friend. And and you'll see this a lot of times used as being like a deep friendship. A lup. I love what Adam did. When Adam, when God takes a rib and makes woman, and Adam sees his wife, the first thing he does is like, and I love the response. He just bursts into singing. Right? Like, isn't that kind of right? He sees like, uh, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Like, he just like, starts singing about it. Like, I know girls, you'd love that if a guy just like, I'm going to start singing. You're the one. I don't know. I love you. And like, they start singing. Like, that was happening. He just started singing to his wife. And I want you to understand what he's saying. This is, you guys, you, not I love you, but he says, you are me. You, you are me. You and me are one. You are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Not just I love you, but y- you are me. I am you. We are one. And, and he's, he's looking at this deep friendship together. And I, I, the verse that you, we read, and you can read it again, and I'll throw it up here. But there's a verse that says, and they are both naked, the man and his wife, and we're not ashamed. And there's this idea in marriage that there's this just incredible deep vulnerability. That they see you for everything you are. That you see the other person for everything they are. And that is so comforting to know that they can see the good and the bad and the really bad and the really ugly. And those dark crevices, you're like, I don't want to see that. They're like, I love you. I love you, I'm com- and you're completely vulnerable, and you're completely safe. And there's something about marriage that, that offers that. It's saying, you can show me the ugliest side, the darkest side, but you are completely safe. And I'm going to love you despite everything and anything that might happen. And there's a deep friendship that happens in marriage and needs to happen in marriage. We've got to get back to in marriage is this friendship. I love this guy that wrote a book on marriage. His name is John Mark Comer. Uh, l- listen to what he said. He says, your spouse is your closest friend. That's one of the reasons God created marriage, for you to walk through life with the person you enjoy, with your spouse as the primary relationship in your life, your alip, the one who knows you better than anybody, better than your own mother. He goes, this is supposed to be a friendship. Don't don't forget that. Because in marriage, you do get distracted by busyness and time and paying bills and who's picking up the kid and what's going on next. And there's things like that, and you've got to get friendship again. And we've got to always fight for friendship. You've got to fight for that deep con- covenant friendship that was once declared that you're promising for the future. Another guy who I haven't quoted in a while, but now I'm going to quote him. Tim Keller said this. Um, it's been like a few weeks. Uh, I started to get like, you know, shaky. He said, within this Christian, listen, within this Christian vis- vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It is to look at another person and get a glimpse of what God is creating. And to say, I see who God is making you. And it excites me. I want to be a part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got a glimpse of it on earth, but now look at you. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, so good. I lo- this is marriage. See, and I'm looking to the future of this with you. I got a glimpse of it, and I knew that God began a good work in you. He's going to be faithful to complete it. And I'm not just promising, I'm not just declaring my present love, but my future love. And so you can say that what, what is, that is what marriage is. That's the essence of marriage. It's a covenant. It's a deep friendship. But what's the purpose of marriage? What's the purpose of marriage? Because marriage isn't just about you and the other person. And we can't be so selfish to think, it's just about us, forever, kids, life. Like, it's so much more than that. First of all, write this down, that God would be glorified. The purpose of marriage is that God would be glorified. That marriage exists more for God than it does for you. Marriage exists more for the glory of God than it does for you. 
and we got to understand when sometimes I ask people like, so what is marriage? And I like, 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 you know, trick question. Like you're asking them, you're like, well, it's me finding my satisfaction in the other person. You're like, oh no. Like it's me, like them meeting my every need. You're like, oh dear God, like help them. Like the way they describe it, it's like, I'm going to find my every need in this person. They're going to satisfy me completely. You're like, no, it can't be that. You have to approach marriage that this is for the glory of God. That hopefully through our lives, people come to know Christ. Hopefully through our marriage, people see a picture of Christ. And that's the second thing. The second thing of what's the purpose of marriage is that the gospel might be seen in marriages. That the gospel might be seen in marriages. That people look at you as a husband or look at you as a wife and say, wow, that is God or wow, that is the church. It's a verse we'll throw up here and I'll, I'll get more into it. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. He quotes in Genesis, Paul does, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, what we just read, and the two shall become one flesh. Then Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Ultimately, marriage is not about us. Ultimately, it's about the glory of God. Really, marriage should be seen so people go, wow, look how loving God is. I look at this husband and I realize that God is so loving and God is such a servant because I look at this husband. Or I look at this wife and I go, wow, she so honors her husband and so, re- so respects her husband. God is so worthy of honor and so worthy of respect. There's an idea that what you're, let me just say this, your marriage and my marriage is communicating something, guaranteed. Every marriage communicates something. What is it communicating? And hopefully the marriage is communicating the gospel. You know, when husbands are unloving, you're saying that Jesus is unloving. When the wives are, are dishonoring, they're saying that God's not worthy of, of honor. There's just, and you, you might take offense to that, but Paul, but Paul is speaking in this saying, listen, marriage speaks of something so much greater than you and I can understand. And so sometimes it's like, we got to be reminded that I have a God, I have a groom who pursues me. I, God is this great groom. I am called the bride of Christ. Yes, as a male, I'm still called the bride of Christ, but God pursues me and loves me. Even when I run or turn, he's like, I'm going to love you, I'm going to pursue you, I'm going to pursue you because I've made a covenant with you. And I love you. And we need to be a, a really just aware of that, aware of what our marriage, our marriage communicates something. So I'm talking about this right now. Why am I talking about this? Because whether you're married, let's get back to this. And if you're single, know what to aim for. If you're dating, know what to aim for. It's just so important. Don't wait, to, don't wait till you get to marry. Like, what is marriage? And you should, more than just this five minutes here, you should spend time on what is a covenant? What does deep friendship look like? And, and what, am I, what am I offering to the other person, not what am I going to get out of the other person? So when we talk about marriage, that's the kind of first part. Here's the next part. All right, we're going to talk about singleness. And whether or not you're, you're, you're single or you're married, I hope, even for married couples, I hope this can encourage you to talk to people who are single. Now, here's what I want to do. When it comes to singleness, I more want to kind of give some principles or thoughts. I would say this. First of all, read 1 Corinthians 7. If you're single, just read that chapter. That's kind of my encouragement to you. Outside of that, I'll say this. I'm going to give some principles right now. Because imagine if you and I were walking up a mountain, the mountain of marriage, right? And there's some really dangerous parts of the mountain that, like, if you slip, you'll fall to your death. All right, so we put guardrails. We put guardrails up there. Because we want to have something to protect us when we slip and we fall. We want to have, make sure we're walking that path, that narrow path, in a really clear and concise way. So here's some guardrails, in a sense, for singleness. First of all, number one, uh, I want to say this. Work on yourself first. If you are single, work on yourself first. Here's the verse, Philippians 2.12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Work on yourself first. Don't assume that when you enter into a relationship that it'll just make sense. Like, they'll just complete me perfectly, all my failures and problems. Like, work on yourself first. Invest in yourself right now. Another, another way I want to talk about it is, like, don't just look at who you want, but who do you want to be for that person? Sometimes when you do talk to single people, it's like, I have my list of here's what I want, here's what I'm looking for, and it's like selfish, 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 and they have their list. So not so much what do you want, but who, who do you want to be? Who do you, how do you want to offer yourself to another person? I want to be this way for them. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. A lot of times, like I, again, we get into so many conversations late at night, talking to couples, individuals, whatever, and it's just funny. It's like, well, I'm looking for this and this and this, and I go, oh, gosh, please change your approach. Here's what I want to be for my husband. Here's what I want to be for my wife. Here's what I'm looking to be. Help me, help me become that. So I can become marriage material. Work on yourself first if you're single. And everyone said, amen, right? That's something for all of us. Number two is this. Don't waste time with dating an unbeliever. And this might be an obvious one, but please hear. Don't waste time with dating an unbeliever. If they don't love Jesus, don't waste your time on trying to marry them or be in a relationship, an individual relationship with them. This makes absolutely, it makes no sense to me when you, someone goes, I love Jesus supremely and I want to marry someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. Like that doesn't make, just doesn't register. 
It's like, well, missionary dating, maybe eventually he'll come to believe, and you know, God will be glorified that way. It's like, don't waste your time with that. And I know we use Christian terminology sometimes, and you're going to see why we use Christian terminology, like, don't be unequally yoked, but here's the verse. Uh, It's 2 Corinthians 6. We'll throw it up here for you. He says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? Read the rest of this chapter. Read before and after. Don't, have, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, what is, we will say this in the church, and it sounds so Christian. Like, don't be unequally yoked, bro. You're like, what are you talking about? All right, it's a weird terminology, right? Here's, a, here's the verse, actually. I love it. It's, it's quoting back from De- Deuteronomy 22. Uh, he says it this way. He says, if we can throw it up because I can't find it. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Let me explain this. What a weird command. Why does the Bible say this is, like, this is one of the commandments in the Bible? Do you ever people point out to you, like, weird commands? Like, what? what? What is this? All right, D- you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Here, here's really the idea. If you'd have an ox and a donkey that were wearing this like, neck brace together, plowing the field together, eventually the weaker one's going to hold the stronger one so much back that the weaker one's neck will break, or the stronger one's neck will break. The weaker one is going at a pace, and it's not plowing straight anymore, and it's holding the stronger one back that really the ox's neck would be broken because of the donkey. Now, I don't want anyone to be offended by this illustration, but for some of you women, you're that beautiful, strong ox, right? You're plowing through the field, and you have a donkey. You have an old King James Version word of donkey. Plowing through life with you, okay? And you're, you're, trying, to like, you're trying to follow Jesus together, and you're plowing the field, and you're realizing, why is this so hard? Eventually, your neck, your neck snaps. Eventually, your neck breaks. You're like, why is that? God's like, I told you not to be an equally loved. You need two equally strong partners plowing together. That's the idea. I want, I want to go so far as, it's not just like being with another Christian, like, well, they believe in God, check. I would say, do they have the same beliefs, like the same primary beliefs about God and the Bible and the scriptures and about the Holy Spirit as you do? Do, they have the, do, I, do you actually plow the field together? Because it's going to be really hard raising children. It's like, well, I believe this about, and, and there's certain primary things that we should all agree upon. There's certain secondary things, but I'd say even the secondary things, like that should be something you discuss and get into and really know them and like know them in a deeper way. Like plowing ox with ox, not ox with donkey. Like plowing two strong people together. And there's a, a side for some of us that you got to go, I'm, I'm a donkey right now. I need time. I need to build. I need to train. I'm not ready yet to plow the field with an ox. Like, that's okay. That's okay. That's, that's part of this season of singleness. Don't jump into something too, too speedily. So that's the second thing is don't waste your time dating an unbeliever. Even let me share this really quick. So my wife and I, you know, before we got married, the, the call of God that I was sensing for me in my life was like, hey, I, I know this is what God's called me to do. How do you feel? And we had to have we had to have some really deep conversations with us. Like, hey, I'm I will move with you anywhere, right? Before we go, I will go anywhere. I believe where God's leading you. I'll go. We get married a year later. I'm like, oh, we feel called. I feel called to Florida. I'm in. And she didn't just say those things. She, she did those things, and she did those things with joy. I'm not saying it was easy. I'm not saying it wasn't tough. But she did those things and did those things with joy. I think equally yoked, you got to have some of those tough conversations. Like, hey, babe, we're gonna be poor forever. Want in? Yes. Okay. Like we had to have some of those conversations. And that is some of those things like we should talk about and get into. And that's a good thing. Don't just view it as like a non-believer. View it as he might believe in God, but what does that even mean? Is he, is he leading you? Is he, so we can, whatever. All right, number three. Um, have accountability. Hey, single people and married people, have accountability. This is just necessary. And there's so many verses I could give, and I, I think of James 5, the idea of confessing your sins one to another. But I think, do you have someone who will tell you the things you don't want to hear, and they'll tell you that consistently, and you won't run from them? Do you have someone who will ask you very specific questions? Or maybe not even make, ask questions. They say, here's what I've observed in your relationship, and you can take this or leave it. Here's what I, I've observed in your relationship. Please know that I love you, and I'm not the enemy, and I'm not here to hurt you, but I'm going to share this because I do love you. You know, I think of Proverbs, I think it's 22. We'll throw the verse up here. It's Proverbs 27. He says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And this is a, view, a verse I will say a lot. I so believe this, that I believe your enemies say, no, he's perfect for you. You're perfect. No, he doesn't understand you. He's an idiot. And they will never challenge you. They'll only challenge the other person who's not in the room. And that is not your friend. That's an enemy kissing you. And I believe your friend will give you some blows. I believe a friend will give you some wounds. I have a friend will say, hey, I love you, but you got to see, there, you are blind to this in your life. And you've been blind to this for a while. And you're, you really are bad at taking feedback. So I've been, no one's wanted to tell you that, like, you, you, there has to be some of those conversations. Like, true, genuine accountability. You can't run from that. 
And accountability where you say this person's walked through life a little bit and they've actually proved themselves faithful. I'm not just going to get accountability from someone who, who has no experience in this. They have no good track record in this. Like count, accountability from someone who says they have a good track record, they have a good like, character, they have my best interests in mind. Not just accountability in general, but a true, genuine person who will challenge you and love you and hold you to that. Amen? And if you don't have this, and if th- can I tell you, if you're dating someone or interested in someone who doesn't have this, probably run. Not probably, run. If there's someone you go, I'm interested in this person, but no one speaks in their life. They take it from no one. They take feedback from no one. I'd say, run. That's not, that's not of the Lord if they're just like isolated and alone, not in community, not in fellowship. They just do whatever they want, think whatever they want. No one challenges them. They're God. Run from that. It's like, but they're good and they're loving. They treat me right. Run from that. They have no one to speak into it. Have, have real accountability. This is one of the guardrails. Uh, number four for us. Let me say this, learn contentment now. If you are single, please hear this one. Learn contentment now, please. Dear God, learn contentment now, <laughs> right? Here's why, Philippians 4.11, Paul says, I have learned, I have learned in all things to be content. This is something that you learn. Now again, I don't think that you ever arrive. I think, we're const- I think I'm constantly learning contentment, we're still learning it. But I do love how Paul is like speaking of contentment in a way that is learned. So I'd say this, learn this, study this. Like, if you are not content now, don't assume you'll be in a relationship be content later. Just because you enter into a relationship with someone does not mean you're going to be content now because you've, they meet your every, it's just not going to happen. It's funny, when you read 1 Corinthians 7, I think Paul's really funny. Paul's like, listen, if you're married, don't seek to be loose from your wife. If you're single, don't seek to be married. Because it's funny, you talk to single people, it's like, all I ever want is to be married. Sometimes you talk to married people, all I ever want is to be single and have free time. Paul's like, no, don't. Be content in whatever state you are. Whatever state you're in, be content. Be content. Don't think that because you're out of a relationship or will get into a relationship that will bring contentment or not bring contentment. Like, don't. Learn it now. Learn it now. It's something you learn. And for more time on this, read Philippians 4. Meditate on this. Meditate on things that are true and noble and lovely. Like some of our mindsets need to completely change when it comes to this. We need to learn contentment by meditating upon his word. Next thing, don't awaken love before it's time. Here's the next guardrail. Don't awaken love before it's time. What do you mean? What does this mean? Here's one verse. I'll give you a couple. Song of Solomon, chapter uh, 2, verse 7. He says, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And some of you are like, well, it pleases now. No. All right. That's wrong. How about another verse? Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 3. Among God's people, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual morality. Among God's people, there shouldn't even be a hint of this. God created sex. We're going to talk about sex in a little bit, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. God created sex. It's good. It's beautiful. Do not awaken it until you're in that covenant relationship that you've made before God and for men. And, and honestly, anything outside of that is called sexual sin, fornication, and, and we will talk more about that because that is so, guys, this is an epidemic in the church and an epidemic in the world. So I'm like we, just don't care. we just do what we see on TV. It's okay. We, we just settle. And then we wonder, well, why is that marriage is failing? I remember talking to a pastor one time who said, you sow seeds of rebellion before marriage, you'll reap seeds of rebellion in marriage. Rebellion outside of marriage can be fun. When you're sleeping around, messing around, doing things, friends with benefits, whatever, it can be fun outside of it, but when you enter into marriage with that person, you reap that later. And you go, why is there intimacy problems? Why is there intimacy struggle? It's like, well, did you awaken love before it's time? God's not trying to steal joy. God's not trying to steal fun. God's not trying to steal sex being fun. He's trying to actually have it so you can have more fullness of joy within that. But when you awaken love before it's time, you'll have sex, the pleasure of sex, stolen from you. And so I'll say this, don't awaken love before it's time. Let there not even be a hint of sexual immorality named among you. We're going to get back to that because that's important. All right, uh, number six, make the most of this season. If you are single, make the most of this season. kind of goes back to contentment, but for me, I think of Ephesians 5. He says, redeem the time because the days are evil. All right, redeem the time because the days are evil. If you are not married... So if you're dating, you're like, well, I'm, not, I'm not single, I'm dating. You're single, all right? If you're dating, you're single. Okay, just understand this. Make the most of the season. Make the most of the season. Some of you, maybe it's, uh, you need to finish education. Great, go do that. For some of you, you're like, I want to travel and do those things. Do that. I want to have this life experience over in Israel. Go do that. Like, experience those things. Do those things. Invest in yourself. Make the most of that season of life because it's true. Once you're married, you're, you're married. Like, a lot of times in premarital counseling, for me, it's, you're almost trying to make it really hard for the people to get married. And because when they are married, it, it, you're like, it, see, it stick a little bit better. Like, I try to make it as hard as I can in some ways with the questions and the things we're doing and asking because you want them to see it's, it's, I'm almost trying to convince you to get out of it now because once you're in it, I'm going to convince you to stay. 
Like once you're married, I'm going to say fight for the marriage. It doesn't matter what they say or do. You're going to fight. You're going to love. You're going to love sacrificially. And that's once you're married. But before the marriage, I can say run. I can say all those things now. I can say all those things now, but I can't say it once you're in marriage. And you've got to understand that. Make the most of this season. It is about investing in yourself. It is about kind of saying, Lord, what is it you want to do in me? Who's the person you want me to be for this other person? Am I ready to lead? Am I ready to serve? Am I ready to, am I ready to come home after a long day and do the dishes? Like, am I ready for that? Like, maybe not. Okay, then, and just invest in yourself for that season. Make the most of it. It is so necessary. It is so important we take advantage of that season, whatever that season might look like. I don't want to define this season, but I say make the most of that season. That is something that you, you will not have back in that sense. And so make the most of it. Take advantage of it. Be, be in a place where people are like, wow, like we can sign off on this person today for marriage because they're just there. Like be in that place. That is such a good place to be in. Amen? Girls, look for men who are in a place where they're ready for marriage. Amen? Like if they invested themselves in that way. So that's singleness. Now let's talk about sex, baby. Um, all right, sex. So let's, let me just say this. Marriage, singleness, sex. Let me kind of make this first little quote here, and I think this is so important. I, I wrote it this way. Sex apart from God's plan is one of the most destructive things on the planet. But sex in God's plan is one of the most glorious things on the planet. Let me just understand, like, just hear this. Sex apart from the way God designed it is one of the most destructive things on this earth. But sex used the way God designed it is one of the most beautiful, glorifying things of God on this planet. And, I, and like, you, we need to hear this. More money... How much money is spent on the pornography business or sex trafficking because we just have this, this lust, this crazy, unsatisfied, like, crave for, for lust? And it's ruining marriages. It's ruining kids. It's ruining people being sold into slavery. We're spending hundreds of billions of dollars. We spend more money on pornography than we do in the NFL, NBA, uh, baseball. We spend more money on all these things combined, on sex. We are, as a country, just failing this way. We go, why are marriages falling apart? Why is this, why are they not having a good sex life? Like, what is going on? Because a marriage, apart from God's plan, it is completely, or sex, apart from God's plan, is completely destructive. But sex in God's plan, the way he designed it, it's so glorious. Like, understand this. God is not some killjoy trying to steal joy from us when it comes to the idea of sex. Here's three ideas of sex. When it comes to sex, we can view sex, sex as God, sex is God, or sex is gross, or sex is a gift. For some people, sex is God. All they live for, that's all they want, that's all they can think about, that's their God, that's what you worship, that's what you serve, you're just living for sex. For other people, sex, maybe because of an experience they had, or because of the bitterness that there's in their relationship, sex is now gross. Both of those things are not God's plan. Then there's sex as a gift. And God created it, he made it, he designed it, and he wants you to enjoy it within the way he designed it. With one person, the opposite sex, uh, one person of the opposite sex in marriage for life. And God's like, this is how I design it, and this is how you'll enjoy it to its fullest. And, and I really think that we in the church shouldn't shy away from talking about sex. God made it. Do you understand that? God made everything. And God cre- in Genesis 1.31, God's like, it's very good. Like, God made everything. Understand that this is something God designed, and we shouldn't shy away, or this is awkward to talk about. It's like, no, we, we, sh- we want Christian couples, Christian married couples, to have good sex. That's important. That's important, important for a healthy marriage. That's just important in life. That's something we should talk about. And we should say, those of you who are single, you, that should be a goal of yours. And to do that, you need to follow singleness the way God designed it. You need to follow the way God created sex because you'll enjoy it so much more if you do it the way he designed it. So here's the first thought. Here's kind of how I wrote it. Um, first thing is this. God designed sex. God designed sex. Sorry about the microphone. It's cutting, cutting out. God designed sex. Look at the, the first verse. Genesis 1:27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. Here's the idea. God made mankind as male and female. Male and female. So God created sex, think gender. God created sex, male and female. Jesus requotes this. We see that in Matthew 19 or Mark chapter 10. Jesus gets back to this and says, God's, God created the male and female. God created the idea of sex, gender. God created the idea of just sex with each other. God created that. He said, hey, be fruitful and multiply. God created that. That is a command. God created that. Understand that. And I love that. When, when God says, God says, be fruitful, like be fruitful and mo- multiply, it's like you have procreation and recreation. Like be fruitful and multiply. Like this is something God, we should enjoy within marriage. This is something that we should, we should understand God designed. We should not shy away from this, not bash at, be bashful about this. When you read a whole book dedicated to this idea of sex between this married couple, God's like, I want you to enjoy it. This is good. And that leads to my next thought. Besides God designed sex, this is a, a very easy one for me to sell. Sex is very good. 
Sex is very good, right? You're like, let me give me a verse for that. Sex is very good. Um, Hebrews 13:4. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Marriage is honorable, the bed is undefiled. That is like a, a way of just saying this is something to enjoy within the marriage context. This is something to enjoy in the marriage bed. But everything else God will judge. And God does not take sexual sin lightly. But let me just say this. Sex is good. God created sex. He created it to enjoy with one person of opposite sex, of opposite sex for life. God created that. He made it that way. He, I don't, God does not try to steal anything away from us in our marriage when it comes to our sex life. But I do think the enemy is here to steal, kill, and destroy this. To make you either enter into it too soon or to enter into it outside of marriage or through video or through screen. And all of that's going to ruin and hurt you and the other person that you've made this deep covenant with. And you're going to carry it. And, those, and listen, God can redeem it and God can reconcile it, but it will be work and it will be difficult. And, and there's some things that some of you have experienced or gone through, and God's like, I want to purify that. I want to redeem that. I want to spend time working that out. And that's okay, and that's good. And I have no idea how long that takes, but that this is the Holy Spirit working on you in that way. And so let's redeem this. God designed this. God created this. It's very good. You know, think about, like, God, if someone designed a board game and said, these are the ways, these are the rules to play this board game. If you play the rules this way, you'll have fun. And sometimes we like make up our own rules for board games. Like, why is no one having fun? It's like, because it wasn't designed that way. Like, God designed it a certain way. Follow, follow his plan for it. He's not trying to steal joy. Again, when I'm driving down the freeway and I look at a guardrail, I'm not like, oh, stupid guardrail. I want to go on that side of the freeway. Like, no, it's keeping me having life. Like, thank you so much for the guardrail. It's not there, there to steal joy. It's there to give me more joy, right? Guardrails are there to give you more joy. This is how God created sex. He's like, hey, I created sex. I'm giving you commands not to steal the joy, but so you can enjoy it more. I want you to enjoy it more. That's the reason why we have these commands. So uh, let me say that again. Sex is very good. Amen. Uh, number three, sex is a picture. And this is, might sound weird. You're like, what picture? I'm like, can you screen? Like, this is weird. Sex is a picture. Here's a couple verses. I know we might think sex is very literal. Of course it is. But there's something else. If you go to 1 Corinthians 6, it says, Now the body is not for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. The body's for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Verse 17 says it this way as well. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. See that word joined? Again, like we talked about the Adam and Eve. Let me just, here's what I'm trying to say. Our bodies are not just made for sex. Sometimes, some people, again, for those who have the sex is God kind of view, your body is just like, that's all you think you're made for. When in reality, God says your body is made for more than that. Your body is made to be joined with me. Your body is to be one with me. You see, why do we crave deep intimacy with, the other, with another person? Because God is saying, because you really what you're craving is deep intimacy with me. And, and I want us to understand that, like, we can talk about sex in a very, like, in a, in a common way or in a, a normal way, and we can say, hey, let's redeem it, and let's talk about it. But understand, there is this craving with all of us of deep intimacy to be loved for who we are, to be longed after, to be pursued after, to be wanted. And God is saying, you and your body are made for me. Like, to understand this, is, God's like taking something spiritual and physical and combining it like, you're made for me. Every, everything about you is made for me. God's like, I want all of you. I, I, want all, I want all of you. I want you to want all of me. That we'd be joined to him with one spirit. And I think sometimes, again, we miss the point when we just think it's only sex. It's about sex. And we can talk or laugh or joke. But you miss the point. No, there is a deep craving for something more. That also, you can be content and be single. You can be single your whole life and still be content. Jesus was single. Let's remember that. Let's remember Paul was single. Paul is actually, when you read 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's like, please stay as I am. Paul's like, this is good. Okay, but if you want, go ahead. Like, read, read how Paul talks about it because this is not like a singleness is inferior and married's superior. It's not that. And sometimes we can kind of idolize sex or idolize marriage and you, and you misunderstand even the point of that. That really it's a picture of the gospel. Really it's for the glory of God and really it's for you to crave true intimacy with the one who made you and designed you. And even, I, I think I want to say it this way. You cannot have intimacy with God unless you give up your independence. Please hear this for a second. Just hear this part. When you get married, you are giving up your independence for greater intimacy. Do you know that? When you get married, you are saying, I'm giving up my independence for greater in intimacy. And do you understand that that's what we're doing with God? We're saying, God, I want to be close with you. I want to know you. I want, I want, when people say, I know Jesus, I, I have a relationship with Jesus, sometimes that comes across confusing to a non-believer. I get that. It's weird when we say, no, it's not a religion. We have a relationship with Jesus. Like, what does that mean? And, and sometimes it's confusing. We, we kind of throw those words out there. But I would say this. That means we are giving up our independence. We're giving up what we want, what we think is best. We're giving up our will. 
so we can have greater intimacy for, with him. And that's what marriage is. I'm giving up my independence for greater intimacy. Same with Christianity. I'm giving up my independence for greater dependence and intimacy with you, God. And so when I say sex is a picture, it's really ultimately so we can be one with him. Amen? Like God is saying, you will not be sad. Even, even marriage and marriage, sex and marriage is great. It's fun. But it will not meet your every need. It will not satisfy you to a whole. And, like, and, and that's one of those things that God is saying. Do you see this? What you're craving is really ultimately found in me. That's something we have to understand. And let me end with this one. Uh, sex is cautioned. Sex is cautioned, or it's, it's warned. And here's what I mean by that. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. We'll throw the verses up. But here's how it says it. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. The next verse I love is, and such were some of you. This is what you were. You don't need to be this anymore. And don't look at that list and be like, what about this group? You know, when it says fornicators, that's, that's this like, word, pornea, right? The word, the word fornicators in Greek is this word, pornea. Obviously, we get that word, pornography, we get the word pornography from that word. But pornea is not just pornography. Pornea means to be sexually stimulated outside or before marriage. Pornea is like this drunk drawer word of like any and every sexual sin outside of marriage. And I, I like to share this with people. I'm talking to young guys, like, well, how far is too far? What can I do? And it's like, you're basically asking how, how close can I get to sin versus how close can I get to Jesus? And we're missing the point. But outside of that, let, let's just look at it this way. Um, when you say pornea, it means to be sexually stimulated. Let's be honest. For guys, it's not hard to know when you're sexually stimulated, right? We, you know. You're like, oh, I know. Like, it's not hard. My point is, when people ask how far is too far, you'd say, is this sexual? I honestly, it's a real question. Is this sexually stimulating you? Because that's pornea. That's when you know it's gone too far. I'm not like, you can, you know, you kiss him on the cheek and nothing, maybe nothing happened. Great. But people are like, no, I'm getting, I'm kind of flushed now and I'm getting in the mood now. And it's like, okay, don't think it's just sex. It's not just sex outside of marriage. It's fornication. It's pornea. It's anything sexually stimulated outside or before marriage. Can we be really clear? Because people are like, I want to know the line. It's like, okay, well, don't be sexually stimulated. Well, how is that possible? And here's how that's possible. I'd say this. First of all, get a new heart. Get a new heart. Myself, get a new heart. Jesus, Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus said, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. I know when you, when you, you talk to someone who's single, and they're dating, or they're just in sexual sin, and you're like, you can be freed from this. They're like, you're crazy. I know, I know there's no way. You know how hard this is? And I'll say, this all starts from a problem of the heart. This is all a heart problem. And I'll say, God can give you and will give you a new heart. I, I love the promise, the promise in Ezekiel, and the verse is so good. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God's like, I will give you a new heart. Jesus says, out of the heart come all these evil things. It's not just physical issues. It's not just outside issues. It's a heart issue. But then God also says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit. That your motives, your desires, your desire for sex, it's, it's too low. I'm going to give you a greater desire. I'm going to give you a desire for Jesus that will satisfy you and meet your needs more than, than sex ever could. God's like, I'm going to give you a new heart. And some of us, and I, honestly, a lot of us have been or are in sexual sin. You've been maybe before or before you're married or maybe in marriage. Or maybe you're, you're not married now and this is something that's a real issue with you. Listen, I'll say this, believe in Jesus. How do you get a new heart? Just say, Jesus, give me a new heart, honestly. I look at Ephesians 3, 21, it says that Jesus talks about he fills our hearts. Some people hate that phrase of like, don't ask Jesus in your heart. F Ephesians is saying he fills your heart. He gives you a new heart. He will give you a new heart. And I would say that's simply saying, Jesus, give me a new heart. My, my heart, my motives, my desires are broken. They're broken. I crave things that are destructive all the time. I crave things that are against you all the time. Give me a new heart, and he will. And it might, take some, it might take some real prayer. It might take some real fasting. It might take some real, like, separation from the world, separation of meditating on things that are pure and noble. Like, it might take a lot of those things reading scriptures. It might take a lot of those things. It'll probably take all those things at once to be applied. But he will give you a new heart. And I'm saying God is so faithful. Let me just say, if you are in sexual sin right now or have been or were recently, can I tell you we do serve a God of grace and redemption? And though your sins be like scarlet, he'll make them white as snow. That you know that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. God has made all things new. He's made all things. It's written in a way that he's still making things new. He's still making things new. Not just one time when you got saved years ago. He's still making things new. And you need to know this. 
you need to know that the enemy can't throw this over you and go, you're still a filthy dirtbag, you're still this and this, and in some ways agree and go, I am, but Jesus has made me new. But Jesus has given me a new heart. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I don't need to be a slave to sin anymore. I'm now a slave to Christ. And he's a good master. And he's so good. And that's something we need to believe and apply and walk in. And this is something that honestly haunts, I think, everyone. I don't think this is like maybe 5% of the church. No. Whether it's recent sexual sin, past sexual sin, current sexual sin, you can be freed. He will free. He will continue to free. And that's something we have to seek and meditate on and dwell on and think and just be appreciative of and meditate on the pureness of the gospel, the goodness of the gospel, the goodness of God leading us to repentance. I have to just soak that in, take that in. Thank, thank God that when I was at my worst and my darkest moments where you'd never want anyone to see some of the things we've done. Imagine if I'm like, I have videotapes of things that you've done that no one's ever seen before. And like, <laughs> on the screen, like, ah, it's like, like, you know, it's like when you're like in middle school and you go to school naked, you're like, oh my gosh. Like, imagine that were to happen. I throw, like, we throw on the screen. God sees all of that and just goes forgiven. Because I gave the most precious thing I had for you. This was not, and this was not simple. It was costly. It was crazy costly. It's not just forgiven, like, oh, it's forgiven. It's like, it, you're forgiven because of this great cost that Jesus paid. I was forgiven because of this great cost that Jesus paid for me. And why walk over that? Why trample that? Why run away from that? Why, why step more into it? Why not go, Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for what you've done. I don't want to neglect the great salvation that God has given me and that God has given you. Amen. As Hebrews says, do not neglect the great salvation that God has given us. Don't neglect that. It is great. It is great to think what God has saved me from and saved me to. It is great. It is great to think what God has saved you from and saved you to. It is great. Amen? Get a new heart. Pray. Repent. Call upon the name of the Lord. Say, God, I need a new mind. I need a new approach to this. I've done worldly dating, and it's just only led to pain. Let me do it in a way, God, that can bring honor and glory to you. Give me clean, give me clean hands. Give me a pure heart. I love James. He's like, purify your hands, you sinners. Cleanse your hearts. Like, yes. Like, that's something we need to do. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to just end with some worship and prayer. We're going to have the band come up here in a second, but let me, don't get lost. Listen, we're going to worship. I want you just to confess your sins during worship. I want you just to talk to God during worship. I want you to say, God, give me pure heart. Give me pure mind. Give me pure hands. And we're going to have a couple people up here who are going to be available for prayer afterwards. So we're going to have some worship. We're going to have some announcements. After announcements, there'll be some people here available for prayer. If you say, listen, I need help with this. I need to make this known. I need to confess this. I would say, come up, get prayer for that. And I'll say this, guys. I'm looking forward to what God's going to do in our community groups this week. This is not like, okay, it's a great mess. Bye. Like, here's a message on sex and purity and marriage and singleness. Bye. It's like, let's now digest this in, in smaller groups. Let's now take this and apply this throughout the week. Amen? Let me pray for you guys, and we're going to worship, and uh, we'll spend some time just doing that. Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, that though we've used our hands for things that have been so shameful that, Jesus, your hands were nailed to the cross so our hands could be clean. God, I just ask that you remind myself and all of us what you saved us from. So much darkness, so much obsession, so much pain, so much just self-inflicted pain, Lord. We just, we give that to you. Jesus, we ask for cleansing and healing. Cleanse our minds, God. Cleanse our hearts. Let us not just be a week where we go, I'm not in a relationship, Lord. Let us be know that we have the greatest relationship with you. Let us be a week where we can meditate on what you've done for us. God, I pray for everyone in this room that they would find victory, Lord, that, that though we fall, though a righteous man fall, he gets back up again. Lord, let that be true of us. That though we fall, we get back up. That though we fall, remember, Jesus, what you've done for us. That you got back up again from the ground. You rose again. You conquered sin, hell, and death. Thank you for that. Jesus, I ask that you just remind us of all these things we've, we've heard before, but let it be new, let it be fresh. Holy Spirit, do your work in our lives now as we just sing to you, as we praise you. We invite you here in your name, Jesus.